0: Welcome to another version of More Than Just a Number, A Women's Journey Through Incarceration. Today I bring you Dana Miller from Winnemac, Indiana. Dana is a 34-year-old woman who did three bits in prison. She first stepped into Rockville Prison for the first time in July of 2013 and continued for for a barrel full of trauma, finally reaching what she prays is the, the end of it. On December twelfth, two thousand twenty, she walked uh, walked out of Madison Correctional Facility with four years left on probation. Here is her here is her life, her story, her hope, her story of strong strung out on dope. To strung out on hope welcome Dana to our show today
1: hello my name is Dana Miller um, I first want to tell you a little bit about me and how I got to the Rockville correctional facility and then my journey through Rockville and my journey back and then my journey out I was born March 31st 1988 to Deb Fields and Robert Hammond who I didn't know it was my father until later on in my story. You will find out how I met him. My mother was too interested in the drug game and then to raise me. So I was raised by my grandparents, who thankfully stepped up, or I would have been a child in the system, which my story would be totally different then. Um, I was a great kid. I enjoyed cheerleading, volleyball, being outside, and having a normal childhood. For what it was. And then in 2004, my grandmother was diagnosed with cancer and she has a colostomy bag and was in and out of the hospital, so I was sent to live with my mother. When living with my mother, my stepfather was an alcoholic, my mother was a drug addict, and it continued on to his abusiveness and him starting to molest me at the age of 12 my grandparents tried all they could to keep me on a different path than what my mom had when i tried to tell my mom that my stepfather was molesting me she called me a liar and said it was the clothes that i wore so that began my distrust of any human being besides myself because if a mother can turn their back on someone then anybody can I then started partying, going out late, staying day, staying gone days at a time. When I was 16, I was introduced to my biological father, whose name is Robert Hammond. Um, he later on married Amy Gurton, who is now Amy Hammond. I thought they were the best things that could ever happen to me. Come to find out that the reason my mom had left my dad at the very beginning, when I was born, was because my father was a coke addict had his own mental issues, and had no grip on reality.
0: Mm.
1: So so they both, Amy and Robert both are pathological liars, and they don't know what reality of life is, and they tried to put me in a box, and like I was a safekeeping at 12 years old. I'd already been in that box with my grandparents. They tried to keep me away from the world, so I rebelled against it. I then at 17 met my ex-husband Darren. He his family was friends with my family. We started dating Um, September 28th of 2006. We got married. I was pregnant with my oldest son Bradley. Also, in 2006, I caught my very first case for forgery and fraud from my grandparents. Um, I used the money to get support. Sharon's pill habit and alcohol habit and my soon-to-be habit of pills that I thought was just me trying to fit in. I was sentenced that time to four years probation because I just did have Bradley when I was sentenced. Bradley was born March of 2007, and I was sentenced April of 2007 to four years probation. I then had my son Connor in 2008. And then I had my other son, Dylan, in 2009. Me and Darren were married for three years until he um, cheated on me with my mother and which caused way more trauma than I could deal with. So then I was getting divorced in September 28th of 2009 with three children under the age of three years old and no no life experience at all so when i filed for my divorce i also filed for my life as a drug addict i started using prescription pills xanax to get away from reality i was then later slipped and fell and broke my ankle so then i got addicted to the pain pills which led to my meth addiction and then in 2012 i caught my case that would violate my probation for my forgery and fraud case, and it was a fraud case against my stepdad, or my dad and my stepmom. My stepmom had got me to go to the bank with her. I withdrew the money because she didn't have a license. She then told my dad that I stole the money. Um, she doesn't. She's never really liked me because my dad was trying to have a relationship with me, and she was supposed to be the only woman in his life. In 2013. July of 2013, I stepped foot at Rockville for the very first time as a young adult who thought she knew everything and was scared to death. When I walked into Rockville, they have a process that you have to go through. You have to get fitted for clothes. You have to have a search. They search you. They have you stripped down butt naked and search you. And it's stuff that I never dreamed of would happen to me. From July of 2013 until February of 2015, I was at Rockville Correctional Facility Um, due to my meds and my iron being so low from being a drug addict and strung out on a needle and catching Hep C, they would not allow me to go to another facility. At, At Rockville, I seeing things that I never thought was humanly possible. You see things on T V and you think, Wow, this is just a show but it's really not. It's the life of being incarcerated. I learned how to adapt to my surroundings pretty well but within the first twenty four hours of being at Rockville I was wrapped up in a shower curtain and beaten with locks. Just for being a young white female and my the dorm was mostly black females. And the racism goes on inside there too. The only problem is white people are not the minority anymore. So and there's people at Rockville that have life sentences and they don't care about your petty three four or five year sentence any more than you care about their life sentence. But that's their life and they are very very in tune with what they have to do to survive in there. Some people don't have family. So they're doing what they can and doing what others want them to do to be able to survive in there. I learned very quickly that my grandparents were not going to support me while I was down there. It was their way of tough love. So I didn't get to see my children at all. And at the for the first year, I was a mess. Um, I went from being a single mom at home all the time to a drug addict who didn't see her kids on the street to happening to be sober and dealing with the pain of that i stepped out on my children and that i wasn't going to get to see them until i got released. when i finally got over the fear of being in prison i volunteered a lot to clean at night and just kept my mind busy i worked in the kitchen in the kitchen i seen so many young females coming in and out of there getting beat up in the bathrooms and so many fights and it's stuff that you would think that the guards would have under control but realistically they're oblivious to life that goes on inside those walls. A lot of people are. I got my duty while I was incarcerated and I also completed the click program. I wanted sobriety so bad while I was in there and while being in the click program I met my biological son's other daughter, Crystal McCarty, um, and she became my mentor. She completed the CLIF program. She was working as a lay advocate who helps people who get in trouble. And I just wanted to be, I wanted life back. And the CLIF top program taught me all the tools I needed for that. The only problem with those programs are is they teach you all of the tools, but they don't teach you how to use them when you get home. So I was released from that prison bit, February of 2015. The prison drove me home. I later found out that in 2014 that my grandfather had passed away. And I found out the day that I got out of prison because I come home, and they told me every day that I was down, every day that I would call when we would get free calls, or when I would get my state pay, I would call them at least once a month just to tell them that I loved them. And they had told me for a year that he loved me, too, when I would say, tell Grandpa I love him. Um, so when I got home, I found out that my grandfather had passed away. And the last thing I said to him, being strung out and high, was that I hated him and that I wish he would die. So I didn't have closure with that. And I re- was just released from prison. Um, a week later, I finally got to see my kids. My cousin brought, brought them down. later to find out that he was already remarried and had another child on the way and his wife was the girl that he was with right before we got married and had our three kids. So my kids were emotionally going through it. I was emotionally going through it out of just being released and the only way I knew how to cope was to get high. I um, met my ex-boyfriend Devon Poe, about a month, two months after I got released from prison, I met him on Facebook and I thought he was going to come in and help me change my whole life. Um, I later violated probation for a failed drug test and a driving loss suspended charge that I caught go- trying to go see him. I was then sentenced back to prison for a year and a half. I was sent back on August of 2015 and I didn't get released until January of 2017 is when I finally got released and Devon picked me up from the county jail where I had to bond out for my driving while suspended. He bonded me out of jail and I thought our lives were going to be perfect. Um, I came home to his mom's house because my grandmother was very sick and nobody could live with her and that was the only place I knew was home. I went and seen my grandmother on January 17th and I spent all day with her. I did her hair, did her makeup, told her I was going to be sober, let her see the boys. Um, she had so much hope for my life. and. Sometimes I felt like she lived my life, I lived my life for her. On January 18th at 2 a.m., my grandmother took her last breath, and I was not there. I was back home. So my mom calls me and tells me at 5 a.m. that my grandma had passed away. Um, She was the only person I had ever in life. Um, She was the only person that it didn't matter what anyone called me, I was still her baby girl so losing her I turned to the only thing I knew which was the needle and mess Um, me and Devon got very strung out he had just gotten in a settlement for a car wreck that he was in while I was incarcerated Um, he got twenty two thousand dollars back and we had it gone within 30 days we we spent it on drugs cars and hotel rooms Um, he became very abusive on He started smoking Spice, but even before the Spice, he was abusive verbally. But it became physical. And on May 1st of 2018, he kicked my face in 15 oh. times with steel toe boots. Oh my. And, and through my recovery, I was on a lot of pain pills, which is not good for somebody that's trying to come out of addiction. And when I finally got home from the hospital, because I didn't have insurance, they didn't let me stay there very long, um, I was home from the hospital maybe 17, it was 17 days, and my house was raided because Devon and them had had people in and out of there, and I had people selling drugs out of it. When they raided my house, out of six people, I was the only one sentenced to any time. So You're I went down to
0: have priors.
1: Yes, it's because I have priors and who my name was and they knew me in that town. So when I got sentenced back down to Rockville, I got sentenced in August of two thousand and nineteen. I tried to fight the case for a year. I went through two rehabs. I completed the what they call the J program in Casciasco County. It's an amazing program and it works for a lot of people but For somebody who has prior felonies and somebody who has a drug habit, they think the best thing for them is to send them downstate. And sometimes it's just not the case. So they sent me back down to Rockville. When I got to Rockville that time, I felt like, as sad as it sounds, I felt like I was home, somewhere I belonged, somewhere that everybody keeps sending me so it must-be-my-place. This also was one of the hardest times I'd ever done in prison because I had nobody to call at home. So, my grandparents were both gone. My mom, she still wasn't she wasn't being very supportive. I didn't talk to my biological dad or my stepmom at this time, <clears throat> at this time. And I couldn't talk to my kids because of my Past and my drug habit and when the house got raided, it was literally seven hours before I was supposed to pick them up for my oh. weekend visit. So my ex-husband didn't trust the fact of I've been in and out of their lives and never consistent and I didn't do anything for them from the age... Bradley was five when I got sentenced the very first time and Dylan was seven months old. So I... Didn't have anyone so I became very cold in prison having no one on the outside and Having nobody really on the inside except for the pretend people that care about you supposedly I um Made two lifelong friends while I was in there. I still talk to them every day um we My friend Vanessa Erfmeyer and my friend Wendy Whitaker, she was my best friend. She was my bunkie at the very beginning when I went through Rockville, um, through everything. (laughs) She went through everything with me. I had a mental breakdown while I was in Rockville before they decided whether you go to Madison, IWP, or Rockville.
0: Mm -hmm. I went and
1: seen the psych doctor to talk to them about it, and basically they told me this was life. When you come to prison, this happens to everybody, and basically just pushed me on through. Nobody listened to what I was trying to tell them, what was going on inside. So I went through seven, eight weeks at Rockville before... They classified me to be Madison eligible this time, which was so surprising since this, the felony that I was sentenced to this time was a level three felony possession of meth. They found 96.4 grams of meth in my house. Oh. And they also found almost 17 points of heroin, a bunch of needles, um, smoking devices. And I was the only one charged.
0: Um, but, you got, when, but they classified you to Madison?
1: Yes, they classified me to Madison with a level three felony. They said I wasn't a, I wasn't a risk to anyone, any harm to anyone, because it was possession. Had it been a dealing case, they wouldn't have sentenced me, but it was just a possession case. When they raided my house, there were six other people one female who also was classified to Madison, she had three other cases, and she got sentenced on the other two cases and came down to Madison as well, about eight, eight months after I did. When I got to Madison, the way that the judge explained it to me is that the first plea they came at me with was 22 years, and I refused to take it because I didn't feel like 22 years for a drug addiction was going to help me. That I needed rehabs. I needed stepping stones out. I needed a little bit of kind of like control when I got out, not just released and thrown out to fend for myself. That's very hard for somebody that's been incarcerated for over a year to just release them out to the world and expect them to jump in and be okay if they have no family. And for the last two prison bits that I had, that's what they did. They just threw me out and was like, okay, send for yourself. And that's hard to do with felons. It's hard to find jobs. Yes, there's jobs available everywhere, but certain felonies with forgery, fraud, and theft on there, a lot of places will not hire you. Not to mention, I had no way of getting back and forth to work. I had no driver's license at that time. It was suspended for child support. The struggle was hard, and when an addict is first in their recovery and having that many struggles, the first thing they do is turn back to what was easy, what masked all the pain that they were dealing with in the first place. So when I went to prison this time and they sent me to Madison Correctional Facility, I was under the impression that I was going. I had nine years, six suspended, do three, but I had to complete the RWI program. I thought I was going to go down there, do the RWI program, and I was going to get to come home. There was a waiting list for about a year and a half. So for that year and a half, I didn't have to do anything other than do my petty job that they had me on and come home. Well, they had put me in the kitchen, which... I liked being in the kitchen because it kept you busy most of the day, and then by the time you got home, you were tired and you just wanted to go to sleep. I didn't have outside clearance, so I couldn't go outside, but a lot of girls did. So having females that were going out outside of the gates, they were bringing stuff in. So there was a lot of drug use and smoking and illegal activity going on in the dorm that I was in. So when they called my name for RWI, I <laughs> I was so ecstatic because I was, for once in my life, I hit rock bottom and I was done. I didn't feel like I was going to be any good to anybody until I loved me. So when I first went into the RWI program and I told my counselor, Miss Hill, she said, what do you want out of this program? I said, I want to learn how to love Dana and not love dana for what she can do for other people i want to learn to love dana for who she is and so miss hill went through nine months of just trying to figure out who i was in the first place because i didn't know for so long i had been darren's ex-wife or bradley's mom or connor's mom or the drug addict or devon's punching bag for so long i didn't even know who i was So for nine months, we went through finding out who I was, self-esteem classes, anger management classes, because I was so angry inside and I couldn't figure out why. But I figured out that a lot of my anger was towards my mother, first of all, for not wanting me, and I couldn't figure out why. And second of all, for not believing me when I told her that Rick had molested me and was continuing to do so. And she didn't save me. I felt like I was a child and I was stuck and it was her place to save me. And she didn't. So I had a lot of anger towards her. So I had to go through a lot of counseling with my myself to forgive my mom and let it go.
0: And the way I see it, it was your mother's fault. Because it's a mother's job to take care of her child no matter what. Absolutely. So for my...
1: The three months I had after I completed all the self-esteem classes and stuff, I had... It's normally an 11-month program. I did 12 months of it. Um, The Three months after that, I focused on learning how to become a mom to teenagers because my boys were getting ready to hit teenage years, and... In October of 2020, my biological father and stepmother contacted the prison because my father was real sick. He had an aneurysm in his stomach, so they contacted the prison just in case. So I got in contact with them again, and I was willing to give them another shot, even though all the stuff that had happened in the past and her putting me in jail, I just I knew I wanted a second chance, so who was I to not give it to somebody? I spent three months of what was supposed to be my recovery and figuring out how I was going to go out and handle life without turning back to drugs to being released to two people that I used to despise and have an open relationship with them and then learning how to interact with somebody who is fresh out of addiction, fresh out of prison, and that they don't know. Um, They spent a lot of time on the phone with my counselor, and I finally graduated the RWI program on the 10th of December of 2020. I was released on the 12th because I had a six-month time cut for that, which put me automatically out. So I got released. They came and picked me up. They also brought my now fiancé with them. Um, He was also a friend of mine when I was a kid. His mom was best friends with my stepmom their whole lives. So having him there, and he had just been through addiction, so he got it. Like, he understood who I was. He understood what I was going through. And we were helping each other. (coughs) I got a job. It's good to have
0: that support system.
1: Absolutely. I got a job as soon as I got out of prison. I was working at the same factory as my stepmom and my dad. Um, I got on my feet. And when I went to move out and move on my own because I felt like I could, uh, they turned their backs on me. They felt like I should be at home with them and that if I was going to go out on my own, I was going to relapse and I was going to turn into this big, horrible monster again. And for... Until February of 2021, I was sober from December to February. In February, I relapsed one time. I relapsed after my first court day trying to get at least visitation with my kids. And when they denied that and told me that I should start off with just phone calls and Darren wouldn't answer the phone, I gave up. And for a split second, I gave up enough to where I relapsed. And my fiancé, Franklin, he came from Winnemack, Indiana, to Warsaw, Indiana, and picked me up and brought me home. And he said, I'm not going to watch you do this to yourself again. He said, I love you too much. Your kids love you too much and you have so much to offer somebody. So he helped me go through the detox and helped me get back to where I was working again and I felt good about myself again. He went to the next two court dates with me to see about getting visitation with my kids. It's now March of 2020 or April of 2022. I've still yet to see them, but I'm fighting every day. If I can tell anybody anything about my incarceration and about life after incarceration, it's that it doesn't make you a weaker person. It builds you up so much to know that you can handle life inside bars and then life after being inside. And for any female that's still incarcerated, I... Don't give up hope because one day is going to be your day. They can't keep you forever. And when you lose hope in there is when you start making bad decisions and your stay becomes longer. And when you do get home, it's hard. Nobody ever told me it was going to be easy coming out of prison. Nobody told me anything about it. I was the first one in my family to go to prison. I was the first one to come out. I was the first one to go back in. Nobody's ever been in trouble in my family. So no one in my family knew what I was about to go through. And you Mm -hmm. hear all the four stories when you're in county, and some of them are true. I'm not saying that you don't need to take precautions when you go down because the guards aren't there 24-7. And if you go to Madison, you have to find a guard. They're not looking over your shoulder like they are at rockville they're not right there in your face like they are are at rockville it's more lenient and a lot more happens there but if you have faith in yourself and strength and faith in god or whoever you believe in if you have enough faith enough to stick your pinky fingernail in that much faith, you'll survive And when you get home, as long as you keep that much faith every day and you thank whoever your higher power is when you go to bed and you thank them when you wake up, just know that you made it one more day, one more day that there was a million people that said you couldn't do. And to keep your faith up and just know that there's a million of us, whether we get to see you, whether we get to talk to you on a daily basis, but we're rooting for you because we've been there. There's a million people still rooting for me every day, and I don't even know them. Yes. So um, how, how long have you been clean now? I have been clean since February of 2021.
0: Well, that's wonderful, and I hope that you do continue on that track.
1: I... um. I started going to church. I didn't believe in God the whole time I've done my prison sentences. Until I got with my fiance, I didn't believe. Because for so many years, everybody told me that, no, when you go to church, nobody's going to judge you as God, but you walk into a church and you have, I have prison tattoos, which I got while I was down there. And as soon as I walk in and they see them on my hand, it, I felt judged. So, and one of the biggest my b- biggest Bible verse is that we're not to judge one another. There's only one judge, and that's God. And mm-hmm. so I felt like going to church wasn't, i there was no sense in it because everybody that went to church was going to judge me. And so I lost my faith because of that. And when I got out, my soon-to-be husband has taught me that that's not what, faith and God is all about God church isn't what makes you a Christian what makes you a Christian is that you believe in him and that you believe in the Bible and the verses and you can have church all by yourself you don't need a whole sanctuary or have to go anywhere
0: for it so yes the Bible says wherever two are gathered in my name I will be there also absolutely well that is that's my that story and, I think um, your story is very inspirational and in that um, that your story is going to help other women that are fixing to go to Rockville or IWP um, I know that IWP used to be the number one violence uh, prison yes. in, for women and then I guess it was sometime in the early 80s rockville Mm -hmm. became the most violent yes and that's where my daughter is incarcerated and she just prays every day just let me come home i'll jump through the hoops just you know you can set them on fire and i'll jump through those hoops as long as you get me out of here absolutely um and she said but mom she said truthfully i have to say that rockville is a piece of cake when it compares to what I went through at home.
1: Absolutely. Sometimes it is. When, and Devon, yeah. when Devon was abusive and kicked me in the face, I was blessed to go back to prison. I thanked him every day for sending me back down because it got me away from the violence at home and the hurt
0: and pain I was putting myself through. Yes. Well, um, You have survived. You are a survivor. And I think that you're on that right road that god has put you on that path yes and and i believe that this time you're going to make it thank you i'm you trying have you have i have a, have a support
1: system i have a support system something i didn't have when i got out even when my grandmother was alive she was so sick at that point that she couldn't be the rock that i needed and now i have a support system and i have the best support ever from my fiance. He has stood beside me through everything that the courts and everything has trying to throw at me since I've gotten released. Um, and he stood beside me knowing that at the end of the day, if they decide that they want to put me back in jail, that I'm going back for six years. And he still stands beside me no, even knowing that it's up to them. It's never up to me. I can do a million and one good things, but if they find out about the one time I slipped up, you know, and I even told my probation officer about it. I told him about my relapse. I told him about what happened. And at any time, he could use that against me and decide, okay, well, I'm done dealing with her and send me right back. And my fiance doesn't give up on me. I finally have someone that doesn't, no matter what kind of mood I'm in or how many times I tell him, I just wish I would go back to prison because then I don't have to deal with stuff like this. No matter how many times I say it, he just tells me he loves me and stands beside me. And for the first time, I feel like I have somebody fighting with me and
0: I'm not fighting alone anymore. Yes. And because you know your loved ones, they go through the same incarceration that you do. It's a little bit different, but... um they still feel the anguish and the pain of everything that you're having to go through. And to have a true support system like you have now, I think that that you're gonna make it. Thank Um, you so much.
1: And thank you for letting me tell my story.
0: I just wanna help other females. And you know, everyone that I have um, interviewed to this point, that is their main goal. They want to help other women. before they go in or after they come out yes and i think that is a very um oh how am i going to put this a very inspirational goal absolutely you know my daughter she has um a photographic memory and she wants she has studied the entire law library at rockville yeah and she, she wants to become an attorney even though her attorneys were so Um, ineffective
1: and a lot of them
0: are yes and you know we paid a lot of money for those attorneys she had four different attorneys and she still ended up in Rockville for a sentence of 23 years Mm -hmm. and all she did was drug drive a drug dealer to a drug deal Mm -hmm. and she got more time than the drug deal did yes um, mm-hmm. She she got all of the charges that the drug dealer and the man who was buying the drugs, who was also a drug dealer, um, that they should have gotten. Mm-hmm. Yet they turned they turned against her, and now she's serving the time that they should have. Yep. You know, and she's not seen her children for five years, and I can't imagine that. Well, I can now, but I couldn't imagine that as a young mother. Yeah, that's very hard. It
1: definitely plays a toll on your
0: yes, your mental sure, state. It does because my mental state has deteriorated since she's been locked up. Because mm-hmm. all I think about is getting her home, mm-hmm. and the things that she's having to go through,
1: and Absolutely.
0: it's it's pure torture. So I can't imagine what you women go through when you are behind those bars. Yeah. You know I can imagine that I can't actually go through it with you right, and, and that's just reason, as hard on it's just as hard on us as it is you guys, yes, so, I think it's probably even a little harder because mm-hmm. you're actually going through it. We're yeah. having to go through it second hand right, and that's the reason I started my podcast so you ladies can tell your story um of wanting to do better and to be a better person and to help other women. Absolutely. And, you Um, know, being able to tell your story to a whole group of people around the world, because my podcast is in 38 countries, Right. I think that the young girls who listen are going to take it as an inspirational story, and they're going to think, you know, I'm not going to end up like that. Right. And I know that of one particular girl that I've interviewed that her story has touched four different women and they have gotten out of prison and now they are doing things in their community that is so phenomenal that it's made the world news. Oh, that's amazing. And it's all because of this girl's story. That's amazing, so you know I'm hoping that by telling your story that you can reach other girls who are in trouble like you were growing up, that are being sexually abused by a parent or a step parent, and that they learn that it's okay to speak out to someone absolutely because i- i i mean it's such a bad thing that you went through, and i I feel it in my heart for you, yeah. You know, and I could hear the the agony when you spoke that you mm. felt, even today. Yeah. And I hope that you're through that part now. I've definitely worked through it.
1: Um, mentally, it doesn't play with my emotions like it used to. I get very choked up when I talk about anything to do with my grandparents, just because. They were I always there for you they were the ones there for me and i always wanted to make them proud but i know that they're watching over me now and they're seeing the progress that i've made and i know that they are they're they're proud so i don't have to i don't have that worry anymore is there anything you'd like to say to your grandparents even though that they're gone i just want to tell them that i love them so much and that nothing that they did ever caused the person that i was that my addiction was all on my own, and they didn't do anything wrong. They were the best parents they could be. And then I love them, and I hope that they're watching over their grandkids. And, you
0: know, I truly believe that they are. Um, And how are your children?
1: Okay, so (laughs) that was a story all on its own. Um, Their dad was recently arrested for a cocaine charge, and he went on the run with them. And until yesterday, we didn't know where they were. But now I know that they are with his mother. Um, they found them. Darren went back to jail a week ago, and they finally found them yesterday at a house in South Bend. So, I and mean, is, it's, is the home a good place for them? His mother's is a great place for them. It's in their same school district as they've been in their whole lives. She's an amazing grandmother. Um, she was an amazing mom to their dad.
0: So I'm not worried of where they are now. So, Oh, well, I'm so happy for you for that. Yeah. Because, you know, um, I can't imagine losing my children in any way. And in a way, I have lost my oldest daughter. Yeah. And because I know when she comes home, she is going to be an entirely different person than the one I knew when she went in absolutely you know she did have a drug addiction Um, she started out like you with a kidney infection and she got addicted to lortab yes and from that it escalated to methamphetamines Mm -hmm. so in order to get her methamphetamines she let a drug dealer stay in her garage for a week at a time once a month and for doing that, she got to get high for free. Exactly. Does she regret all of it? She regrets every minute of it.
1: But I regret it, but I, I'm not ashamed of it anymore.
0: Yes, and neither is she. And that's what I'm hoping that all of the women listening will know, that there is no reason to feel shame because of your drug addiction, because it's a disease. Exactly. And, you know, I am so proud of you for everything that you're doing to stay clean and for recognizing that it wasn't anyone else that put you on that road. No, it wasn't. It was me.
1: Yes. I'm just blessed to have the support system I have now with my fiancé and his family to stay sober now
0: yes and that's what every woman who has been incarcerated needs when they come out they need a strong support system and I believe that my daughter will have that her father and I have never once given up on her never um, lost our faith her daughters have um, stayed by her side that's amazing and she has a very strong support system waiting on her when she comes home and I believe this time around that she won't falter exactly well i i pray for the best for your daughter and you know i pray for you also and um that you succeed do you have any plans for your life now that you are clean um my biggest plan is just to
1: eventually get a relationship back with my children and just live life and take it one day at a time. And
0: and I think that that's a strong goal. Uh, I taking ha- it one day at a time can be hard. I have another phone call coming in, so I don't want to cut you short,
1: but I just want to okay. thank you for letting me tell my story.
0: Well, I thank you for being on my podcast. And if you ever need anything, I think that you have my phone number. Yes, I do. You can call me. And talk to me. Um, If you feel like that you're getting close to losing it again, please call me. I Um, will. Because that's what I am here for. I'm here to lend you that extra support. Okay. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for being on my show, Dana, and I so appreciate you. You're welcome. Thank you. You're welcome, sweetheart. All right. Bye. 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 Thank you for tuning in to another episode of More Than Just a Number, A Woman's Journey Through Incarceration. Dana was very inspirational to me because she never held anything back. She popped up to everything being her fault, and that it was her own fault that she ended up in prison so many times. And... Being able to do that after incarceration has to be a hard thing because once you do, you begin to get ostracized by the community, by your uh, friends or so-called friends, and she's not afraid of that anymore. And I think this time around that she just might make it. And I have every faith in her that she will. And my prayers for her are that she does have a relationship with her children even now that they're teenagers and that she goes on to continue to maybe tell her story to teenagers that maybe are in the shape that she was in as growing up as a teenager. So I will close with a prayer for her, for Dana and for her children that they do make it back together again no matter how long it takes. So with that, I will end my podcast, and I ask that you all tune in and maybe push that follow button so you can continue to follow our stories of incarceration Um, because we as family members do go through the incarceration with our loved ones. So you have a good evening, and may God bless you all. Thank you, and have a great evening.